as we come to this part of our service together, you know, when I get ready to speak to you from the Bible, I, I always stop and think, I wonder who's going to be in church today. Uh, and I wonder what, what you bring with you uh, into the church. I, I imagine almost all of us have something happening in our lives that we say, I wish that wouldn't be there. I, I wish that would change. Uh, I've, I've, yesterday, so many of our church people had lost the loss of a loved one. Uh, others I know have, you know, these physical problems. Uh, others, it's, it's just relational problems, isn't it? Some, or inside, something that feels broken with anxiety or, or anger or, or whatever. And maybe you come to church uh, hoping that maybe something in church will make that different. That you might be able to leave with a little bit more hope than you came in with. And so it's, it's good that today we get to think about this message of hope. But let me tell you, when I talk to you today about hope from the Bible, it's really different from the way I usually talk about hope. When I talk about hope, it's usually something that's really uncertain. So I looked up the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of it. I'll show it to you here. Uh, hope, the, the main definition, is to want something to happen or to be true. To hope is to long for something good that may never occur. So I thought as Pastor Jeff was talking about this uh, offering thing that we're working on, that we're going to try to get on track with where our budget is for all we do at the church, but also add on to try to bring some help uh, to those who have had hurricane problems in Puerto Rico and in Texas, and also reach out to the many refugees that we have, mostly in Lebanon. You might say, Pastor, can you guarantee that that's going to happen? Do you know that's going to happen? And what would I say to you? Well, I, I don't know, but I hope so. I'd be very uncertain about that. But I'll tell you, God knows. So when God makes a promise, it does happen. So I've I written down for you uh, just a rough definition of what I think of as, as hope in the Bible. It's really when we come and hold on to God's promises with confidence because we are convinced that someday God will fulfill what he has promised. And that brings us to this first uh, Sunday of Advent. So I thought that since I'm giving you definitions, I might as well give you one more, <laughs> at least a beginning definition of Advent season, so you can see that too. So this season of Advent is about us living day by day in this sometimes very, very difficult world, amen, <laughs> but anticipating the, the fulfillment of God's promise to come into our world and to come into our lives to make all things right. So here's what we do at Advent season at Lake Avenue Church. We take time to remember the first incarnational coming of God into this world through the little baby Jesus. And we sing about that and we celebrate that. We also think about the coming of Jesus into our lives. But then we also know that there is another coming that's to take place because what the Bible tells us that, that, that Jesus is going to do is he's not only going to forgive the things that we've messed up in the past. He will do that. Thank you, Lord, right? He'll forgive, forgive our sins. But he has promised that he's going to keep working in our lives until everything about our lives and about this entire world is the way it's supposed to be. It's going to be all made right and new. And that hasn't happened yet. I, can I have a witness for that? Do you believe? All right, I just want to know if you're still with me here. Um, so in this Advent season that I'm calling Down to Earth, 
What I want us to think about is how into this hard world, God's hope comes down from heaven through the coming of Jesus into our lives and into the world. And, and the best text for us to look at is the one we're looking at, Isaiah chapter 11. So let me tell you a little bit about that text because I know we have some folks fairly new to church. The prophet who wrote it, his name was Isaiah. He lived a long time ago, even before I was born, believe it or not. Uh, most of the prophecies, whenever you hear these songs being sung wherever you go, uh, most of the prophecies about what he does, this child coming, most of them come out of his book, uh, the book of Isaiah found in the Bible. Now, at the time that Isaiah lived, his own people, we think of it as one nation, but they were divided among themselves already into two different nations. So I have a, a map just to show you what it was like. There was the northern group that they called themselves Israel, and then Isaiah's own people with the southern group, they, they called themselves Judah. Now, at that time when they were there, there was a big superpower named Assyria, and they had a, a megalomaniac, narcissistic leader that everybody was terrorized by at that time because he had said he wanted to take over the entire world. Now, if you put the map up again, I don't know if it's up there, but if you put it up again, here's what he wanted to do. He wanted to take over that whole part of the world, the whole Middle East. And the only way for that to happen, if you've ever been to, that part, to Israel, is it had to go straight through that path. There was a, there's a pathway there. You can go and visit it. The only way for him to take over the rest of the world was going to take him right through uh, Israel and Judah. And so Isaiah was called to be a prophet about what God was going to do to his people. He, you know, he was only about 18 years old when he first got called. So maybe a first-year college student, a senior in high school. So you just got to think about that. that. That's who he was. And, and the prophecies that God gave to him was, was this, that, that Assyria was going to come and actually take over the nation that had walked away from God. Um, it happened soon after uh, Isaiah prophesied to Israel, and about 100 years later, you can see him prophesying it in Isaiah chapter 6. It happened to his own people of Judah. And it says, our own people, your people, are going to be left as dead as a stump. Isaiah chapter 6, as dead as a stump. And yet, with all that happening, as is always the case, when we're God's people, he, we sometimes go through hard times, and our own problems, sins get us into that, right? But he says, I have not given up on you, my people. And he had made this promise, and as you read it through, even Isaiah chapter 10, he said that, that superpower with that guy named Tiglath-Pileser, the king, they're going to be destroyed, and they're going to be left as dead as a stump. But um, it's a different kind of death. They would never rise again. But from God's people, from the people of Israel, a shoot will come out of that stump. Are you with me here on this? That, uh, that brings you to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, and this beautiful prophecy written so long ago. So a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So the, the language is of a shoot coming out of the tree, but it's obvious he's talking about a child being born through a family. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So I put a picture up here so you can see it. I'm sure you've walked through the forest and seen stumps that look utterly dead, and then there's a little shoot where there is still life. And so with all of this, what we see is what he's talking about, something that we celebrate, begin today, that over 2,000 years ago, a little boy was born who had no big status in this world as the world seed status. He was going to be born 
uh, through a failed dynasty, the king of David. And even though his birth looks like it's going to be very, very small, like a little shoot coming out of a stump, it is going to change the world. Uh, th that's exactly what Alice and Aaron read to us. This sh the shoot that comes out of, the, uh, of Jesse's stump is going to draw all nations to himself. So I want us to think just a few moments. First, about, first of all, about what this child will be like. And then second, about what he'll do. Okay, what he's going to be like. And the way I've put it when I read the first five verses is when he comes, God comes. So, so a shoot is going to come up out of the stump of Jesse, but then immediately, but the Spirit of the Lord is going to be upon him. Now, Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the king that God had promised through your line, this rescuer, this great Messiah is going to come. Then when you read the New Testament, you see the Bible saying that Jesus, both in Matthew 1 and in Luke 2, that Jesus was born through the line of David. So for all these centuries, when churches gathered to do what we're doing now, we have always believed that this shoot that is coming out of the line of Jesse is, want to take a guess? You're, you're at Lake Avenue Church, folks. Uh, you know what I always talk about, right? Okay, he's, he's saying that Jesus is this one. Now, when you look at what he says about him, he doesn't tell us everything about what Jesus will be like. But I'm telling you, what he tells us is so significant that I want you to see it. I've tried to boil it down. Uh, first, bottom line, um, what God is, Jesus is. So you see uh, in verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And then if you'll read through the rest, you'll see what that Spirit is like. Spirit of understanding, of knowledge, of wisdom, of counsel, and of might. He's both of those things. He both knows everything and understands everything that no one of us does perfectly, right? So he knows what to do when things are wrong in your life. He knows what to do. He knows what's wrong in this world but also of might. He has the ability to change things. So this is why I'm talking about the hope of Advent coming down to you. If you're going through any kind of a difficult time in this world, this one who has come is greater than that difficulty. He is greater than anything that you are facing. And that's why I want you to know that and hold on to it and, and find some hope here as you come this morning. What God is, Jesus is. I want you to see in verse 3 that as God sees... Jesus sees. He's not going to judge by what he sees with his eyes. He's not going to decide things by what he hears with, the, with his ears. Because let's face it, folks, you and I as human beings, we, yeah, we are, well, we're human beings. We judge on external things, right? I mean, look at things and make judgments of people. You know, there's an old guy up there preaching. Younger than some of you, though, I, you know. So we judge on the basis of age. But we, we, uh, we dress on the basis, of, we, we judge people on the basis of how they dress. We judge on skin color. We judge on the basis of whether we think a person is successful or not. So if I get to become a friend of that person, it's worthwhile. That's how we judge, by what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears. God does not. The consistent message of the Bible is that God doesn't show favoritism like we do on the basis of those things. Aren't you thankful? And I'll tell you, that's what Jesus is like. And if you don't believe me, just look. Just look at his life. 
He entered into the lives of anyone who would come to him. He entered into the life of man just filled with leprosy. He entered into the life and offered forgiveness and a new life to a woman whose life was trapped by prostitution. He was also willing to enter into the life of a religious leader, so that gives me some hope as well. Uh, and the thing that I want you to see today when you come to church is that the eyes of Jesus today are the same eyes as Isaiah said they, he would have. He sees you, he knows you, he, he loves you. And that's what I said, I was trying to think about what you might bring to church with you. If, if there have been places in your life where you failed this past week, he'll start again with you. Uh, he, he sees you as one made in his image. He loves you so much that Jesus came and gave his life for you. Uh, who else is like this? So as God sees, Jesus sees. And that's the way I want us to learn to see as well. And then also, verse 4. As God is always just, Jesus is just. Look at this phrase. So with justice, this one who's coming will give decisions for the poor of the earth. All right, Isaiah 11. Uh, what it's all about is that this one who's coming is going to make everything right in this world. That's what this word justice is about. We use it in so many ways in our world, but it simply means in the Bible, everything that is wrong is going to be made right. Evil will be judged. Uh, things that are, that are broken are going to be fixed. Relationships where there's hostility, peace, everything that is broken is going to be made right. And I'm really looking forward to that. But there is a special focus of the justice of Jesus when he comes. And he says it's for the poor of the earth. So, so Jesus is willing to enter into anyone's life, but the poor and the poor in spirit, as the New Testament writers would put it, those who don't have resources, those who often feel, I don't really fit, left out by others. When God is at work, you fit. <laughs> because he's made you and he loves you and he will make things right. It may not happen in a moment, but he calls you to trust him and to find life in him. And I'll tell you, when you read that, it's not until Jesus was actually born that we, we see the extent to which Jesus, God would go to fulfill that promise. Because you know it, when Jesus was born, you've heard the story. When he was born, he was born in a stable to, to, to these, these two unknown people, uh, to Mary and Joseph. They're with cows and whatever other animals were there. <laughs> the, the first people who came to visit him were the, the king of Assyria, right? No, they were the shepherds, those people that people held at arm's length. They smelled like sheep. They didn't want to be anywhere close to them. Uh, when, when Jesus then, a few days later, was baptized or, or dedicated, you had to bring in his time uh, an offering uh, to, uh, to bring at the dedication. Do you know what his parents, Mary and Joseph, brought? They brought pigeons. I wonder if they're like New York pigeons. The pigeons. But, but that was the offering of the poorest of the poor because pigeons didn't cost anything. And then when you see Jesus and what he does, he feeds the hungry. He reaches out to the sick. He touches those who have leprosy. He even is willing to welcome a tax collector. And, and, and this is what God does. He sees people not just for how we are, but as how we can be. He will take us right. He'll take you from right where you are, cleanse you and forgive you of your sins if you'll just trust him and place your life in his hands. And then he sees you as what you will be when he is done with you. 
And none of us are quite that yet. And, and I, I'm not going to try to pretend to you. Your senior pastor isn't everything yet that God created me to be, but this is my hope. And the only thing that makes that possible is that this one who came is himself God, who does what God does, sees what God sees, and uses that authority to make all things right. This is Advent hope. It's, it's a hope that's not uncertain. It's going to happen. Someday, you and I are going to be remade into the image of Christ Jesus himself. It's unbelievable. It is true. Now, we need to keep moving on. This is only a two-point sermon, in case you're worried. Only, only two. So, <laughs> except I have a lot of extra points in between, right? Okay, so I want you to see what this child will do. It's so great. And I've called it, he's going to bring a divine revolution, verses 6 through 10. And these three phrases, I think, are helpful. The wolf will live with a lamb. The lion is going to eat straw with an ox, and all nations, usually so broken, are going to rally and become one through him. Uh, when, I, when I say he's going to bring a divine revolution, what I'm talking about is what N.T. Wright has written in his new book, The Day That the Revolution Began, namely that we, Jesus comes into our lives. He comes not only to forgive our sins. He does come to do that. Anybody happy about that? <laughs> I sure need that, that forgiveness. So he'll cleanse that and, and help us to start again. He's the God of the second chance. But what God, the Bible says is he, he's not going to stop there. He's going to keep working until everything about every one of us, us is everything that it should be. And that hasn't happened yet. H have you noticed that? But that's what Advent Sunday, this first one, is all about. And, and to use the language to describe it, it's just beautiful poetic language. Essentially, he, he says that the one who comes is going to bring, and the Hebrew word is shalom. We often translate it peace, but it's bigger than that. Shalom means everything about your life being the way God meant it to be and the way you long for it to be. And he uses all these beautiful words, nine phrases of God taking everything that's broken and healing it and bring it back together. The statements like these, a wolf living with a lamb, unimaginable, the cow and a bear peacefully grazing side by side. And even as Aaron said, as he had little mercy there, a child playing right by the hole of a viper. Mothers, this is nightmare stuff for you when, when you think about it. Can't you imagine the pastor saying, you know, this should happen right now. This is Advent. We're not waiting for the future. This should happen right now. So take your children out someday. If you don't have a babysitter, just take them over to a, a cobra's den and say, okay, all of you, just play for a while. I'll be back in an hour. Can, can you imagine that happening? That's not going to happen now, but someday there's nothing to harm in all of this world. And all of it is so beautifully summarized in verse 9. Stand and wonder. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. That's his, when, when he's finished his work. For the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters fill the sea. Um, do, you, do you notice the, the language that he uses to tell us about this is about animals who often feed on one another <laughs> being reconciled to one another by this child. So you have this wolf living with the lamb and a leopard lying down with a goat, and a calf and a lion and a yearling there together, and all of it led by a child. And I'll tell you, all of this, I believe, is going to happen with animals. However, I've got to tell you, too, all the Jewish rabbis, not all, but most, who write about this, and almost all uh, Christian scholars who think about this and write about this, are absolutely convinced that Isaiah's just writing this as sort of a 
metaphor about something much bigger and that we all know about. It's not just animals who need to, to get along with one another. Just, just seeing if you're still with me here. <laughs> not just animals who, who need to find some reconciliation. We need to find it in our marriages. Amen. We need to find it in our families. We need to find it in our, our friendships. We need to find it in our politics. We need to find it everywhere. And what he's using animals just sort of as a foil to point us to the fact that you and I need to be made right with one another and with our world. It's not just saying, okay, you're going to come to Advent, we're going to hear this beautiful picture of animals, and here's what you should do. Put up a painting, and there are a lot of them, of animals there all together, and then they say, isn't that beautiful? And then go home, and nothing changes. It should make you and me look at our own lives and say, where do I have brokenness and broken relationships? And surrender that to him and say, I need your help for this all to come back together that we may know his reconciling work as much as the animals are going to know it. Do you see that? I've often thought, what would this Isaiah say if he were coming to Lake Avenue Church and talking about what's broken in our world? So I started dreaming about it a little bit. I thought, what'd he say? Uh, look, you have all these animal predators. That's what he's talking about, right? And what's been emerging in the news has been of how when men have gotten power in almost every venue of our world, they have used it to be predators upon women. Would he be saying, when I finish my work and when I am the Lord of a place, women will have nothing to fear? There will be no fear. Do you think he'd say that? I think he would. I, I, I think he might say something like this, um, that someday when you go to, to church, you won't just have to have the pastor, that baby boomer pastor you have, yeah, but what you're going to find him doing is he's going to go to the millennial and that baby boom pastor and the millennial are going to be singing both hymns and hip-hop. And, and they're going to do it together and they're actually going to be smiling when they do it. I think he would write that. I think he would write to us here in Pasadena that someday when he's finished his work that that young black man who has been warned by his mom about the dangers he should expect when he goes out on a Saturday night, dangers from the law enforcement officers, is going to be seen with those same law enforcement officers who've had to be warned about the people that they think he might be, about the dangers that he might be to them. And all of those people are going to be coming together and they're going to be um, dancing with one another. Do you think he'd say that? I, I, I think... Oh, I, th I think he'd say something like this. When he has finished his work, you're going to see the CNN anchor having a cup of tea with a Fox News anchor. <laughs> That's what I think he'd say. That's what I think he'd say. And doesn't all of that sound impossible to you? Is it impossible for God? Yes, huh, yes. it's possible. He says he will bring that together. But let me tell you this. What he brings together is only possible if you are in Christ. At the same time, it will happen when you are in Christ. When Jesus comes, he tears down the walls that separate people from people. And that must be seen here in our gatherings. I call it a divine revolution. One more thing, I, you can't go home without seeing this. Verse 7, uh, a wolf, no, no, a lion is going to eat straw. Oh, lions don't eat straw. 
they like meat. Uh, they're carnivores. And what he's saying, he's going to change the very nature, change from the inside out. Do you see it? The very thing I need, the thing that you need, change, change our attitudes, change our heart, change our seeing, change our ways of life. He's going to change us from inside and out until what he's done with you and me, we will be conformed to the image of Jesus himself, will be complete in Christ. That's the promise of Advent, and it's the longing that I have in my heart for me and for you. So it's promised, but has not yet been fulfilled. We live in this in-between time. It's an encouragement for us to wait and to hope and to live in faith, even in this difficult world, until Jesus comes back again and finishes it. And as we do, to you know, be com committed to growing in our walk with God. You see, it's all of that. I've thought, how does this apply to us? And then it, I, I remembered that one year ago I preached from this same text. Do any of you remember that? This is so discouraging for, 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 for a pastor. However, I did remember that one of the women of our church came up to me and then wrote me afterwards and said that as I was speaking from Isaiah 11, that uh, God spoke to her. And uh, I decided the best thing I could do was just to interview her and show her that and pray that maybe what God said to her that he might say to you so that today as you have come, you'll go out with hope as well. So I'll show you what we talked about this week in my, in my office. I'm with Reverend Annie Newfeld. She's our pastor to college adults here at Lake Avenue Church. And I, I want her to help us to think about this message about how a future hope might actually sustain and guide us in this world when we may not have so much hope. Because uh, Annie, you remember I talked about this message last year at Advent. And I remember after I had spoken about it, you came up to me and said that God had spoken to you. Mm -hmm. uh, Annie, help us to understand what the context of that was and what you heard God saying to you. Yeah, so last year, at this point in time, I was about eight weeks pregnant. And um, right at this time last year, uh, we were excited to welcome another little human, another little person into our family of three. Um, but we found out um, over Thanksgiving that we were miscarrying and proceeded to um, miscarry for the, for the rest of Advent season and into Christmas. And it was awful and it was devastating. And, um, but what made it even more almost infuriating was the fact that during Advent we are talking all the time about this birth of a baby boy and how this birth of a baby boy is going to bring great joy and wonder and hope into our world and how we're supposed to wait on the birth of this baby boy and all that talk of babies I couldn't I couldn't handle it um, because I had lost my baby and I was mourning my baby and so it was really hard for me to enter into Advent where we're supposed to wait in hope I was waiting and it was excruciating it wasn't hopeful it wasn't good um, so I was having trouble entering into Advent but then uh, you gave a, a sermon on a, on a Saturday night in which you said that the birth of Jesus is really just the beginning, that what we are ultimately waiting for is this moment when God will come again and make all things new. And for me, that gave me a window into Advent that I hadn't had before, that I couldn't get excited about this birth of a baby, but I could get so excited about God making all things new and all things right. Um, it gave me hope. So that loss, the loss of a child, 
is something that usually takes away our loss of, of hope mm -hmm. and, and joy. And I think almost anybody who's listening in to what we're talking about will either be experiencing that right now or have experienced it at, at some time. So the question I have is, how does that work? How does it actually work that this message of God's hope in the midst of this difficult world actually can renew your hope and direct your lives? Do you have any mm -hmm. thoughts about that? <laughs> Lots of thoughts. Um, I still don't understand what happened. I still don't understand why we lost our babies. We lost um, a baby in December and then pretty much right after that in March we had another miscarriages. So two losses in four months and um, it was awful and I didn't feel hopeful. I didn't feel that emotion of hope but we chose hope. We tried to live in hope. We tried to make decisions where we were standing on hope and standing on the faithfulness of God to us. Uh, and when I read these texts and, and when I, I, I listen to messages about Advent, that's what I see the people of God doing. That I can't imagine that if you're living in exile and you're taken away from your land and your home and you have nothing, it's hard to, it would be hard to drum up emotions of hope, right? And yet I see the people of God choosing faithfulness and taking that next step of faithfulness um, over and over and over again. And for me, that was what we were doing, and then the feelings came later. All right, so it's Advent 2017 now, Annie, and uh, you and Josh are at a, a very different point in your lives right now. So what message would you want to pass on to all the people that we really love from our church family mm -hmm. uh, about what you learned at this time of year about Advent? Yeah, so Advent is all about expectation and hope, right? And last year I had to choose to enter into that. Um, but this year, it's, a, it's honestly a lot easier. I am pregnant again, I am six months pregnant, and everything is going well, and baby is healthy and strong. Um, and there's a lot of parallels that I'm experiencing between the Advent season of expectancy and this pregnant season of expectancy. Um, in both of those seasons, we live in this in-between space, right? Um, I, I am in this in-between space where baby is making herself known, right? She is real. She is kicking. She, I am getting glimpses of her every day. She is moving, especially after I eat a spicy meal. She is moving all over the place. We are making decisions based on the fact that she is real, right? I'm eating differently. I'm living differently. We're making plans that are different because of the reality of this baby girl. And yet she's not totally here yet. There will come a time when she will wake me up in the middle of the night. That's not here yet. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> I'm getting good sleep right now. Um, I can't smell her yet. Uh, so she's not fully here, and yet at the same time, she's giving us glimpses that she's here. And that reality is what Advent is all about, right? That we know that God is here. He's making himself known. We make decisions based on the reality that God is here, and yet there will come a time when God will come. There will come a time when God will come in all of His glory. He will make His kingdom fully known to the whole world, and we live in that in-between space. Yeah, thank you so much, Annie. And um, this is what Advent season is all about. Amen. Amen. And believe it or not, that brings us to our time of celebrating communion. 
So I'll ask our stewards to come and, and take their places. Because I don't know if you've thought about even the Lord's table, the way that Jesus established it. It points back to his first coming when he died for us, but also to his second coming that he will return. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, we remember his death until he comes. Knowing that we still in a world, live in a world where there is dying and there is problems and all sorts of things. So as you get ready for communion, there are just a couple of ways I'd like you to think about applying this. If you, like Annie and Josh, have come today and there's just something really going wrong, very uncertain happening in your life and you've almost given up hope, I pray that you'll take a few moments and surrender that matter fully to him again and to tell him you will live in hope until the feelings actually come until the time comes that you actually see the glory and the rescue and the provision of God. So I pray that just as Annie and Josh found hope through the hearing of God's word, that you will do that today as well. And then second, if you have come today and, and maybe as, as I ask you to confess your sins, you'll say, well, Pastor Greg, the sins I have to confess are the very same sins I had to confess a month ago. And you really wonder, will that ever be different? Will that, and, and has God given up on me so that he thinks they'll never, they'll never get over that sort of thing? Let me just tell you, the day will come when you won't have to confess that sin anymore. The day will come when you will be whole from inside to the out. Till that day comes when you acknowledge, I have failed yet again. There is another promise that God's word makes to you. Do you know what it is? That if you will confess your sins, he is going to be faithful and just. He will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when you ask, how many times will he do that, Pastor? Well, he told us to forgive one another at least 70 times, seven times. <laughs> he'll do it much more than that. He loves you and he'll keep working in you until the day comes when you won't have to confess that ever again. May this be a step in that direction. So take that time with the Lord. And if you're visiting with us, here's how we do communion here. We all come out. You see the tables in front of us. There are some up in the balcony as well. Come out. We'll take the two elements of the bread and of the cup. I'd like you to carry those back uh, to your seat because we would like to receive the elements together. If you can't get up, our stewards will come and bring it out uh, to you. Uh, as well. I think I should tell you this too. If you're visiting with us, this isn't Lake Avenue Church's table. This is the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. So if you know the Lord, if you're a follower of Jesus, come and join with us and, and celebrate with us. If, if you have a gluten allergy, we have at the far right over there, that last table, uh, your left, to your far left, uh, a table that has gluten-free bread. So... Let's take a moment to pray. So, Father, take this word and speak to us. Just as you spoke to Annie and Josh a year ago, speak to us, Father. Show us how we should respond to you and renew our hope. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.